Well, Happy New Year. I'm glad you can join us here on the first day of January uh, with us online. And we're meeting in church today, too. But I'm really excited to bring this message to those of you joining us on YouTube and on Facebook. And I don't know if you're like me, but the first day of the year, often one of the questions I have is I wonder, where is this year going to take me? What's it going to bring? What'll happen? And sometimes in parts of my life, I've, I've actually predicted pretty well what would happen in the course of a year. I would think about how, you know, maybe it was the year I was in high school when I would graduate and lo and behold, that year I would graduate. Or when Heidi and I were getting ready to get married, we were about to be engaged, said, you know, I'm probably going to move into a house or maybe we're expecting a child and those things would come and they're very predictable. Uh, but then there's other times and years when, well, our predictions are just useless. Um, in fact, if you asked me to predict just about how the past three years would have gone, my batting average would have been zero to 10%. And I expect that you might be the same way as me. But I don't want to sit here and just talk about, you know, oh, what might the year bring? I want to talk to you today a little bit about um, what do we think God is up to when we look at the story of Jesus? Because here's the thing, we've been doing this series called Behold over Christmas time, where we're stopping to look at what God is up to in Christmas time. And last week, Pastor Jeremy took us back actually on the December 18th to look at how God does the work of redemption and talking about how Christmas is about God coming to earth to reconcile us to himself. And that when we can't help ourselves, God comes to help us. And so we've taken a look at how Jesus comes to our world and what Jesus does for us in his birth, death, and resurrection. But the question I have for today, similar to the question we might have for the year, is this. What is Jesus' endgame and how do we get there? You know, what, where is Jesus trying to take us in his story? And unlike trying to predict the outcome of 2023 this year, the Bible does talk to us about where Jesus is taking us. One of the passages I fell in love with when I was a young man uh, was a chapter called Revelation chapter 21. Now, I know when I say the word revelation, there are typically two reactions that happen in Christians. There are some Christians who think, finally, I love revelation. It's like their passion book that get them very excited. And then there are others who are just like, oh, no revelation. I'm scared of what kind of interpretation is going to come out of this because you've heard all kinds of things and they find it very confusing. I'm not doing a big study on Revelation, but Revelation 21 is at the end of the book when John is given a vision that paints a picture of the future that, that Jesus is preparing for his people. And I'm not going to dig into all of it. There's a vision of what the church is like and their place in the world and how God restores all things. But there's one verse I do want to read, which is Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And it says here, it says, He who is seated on the throne, and this is talking about Jesus, says, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, this is where Jesus is taking us, where he's taking us to a time and a place where all things have been made new, where there's new life and new hope. And in fact, in that chapter, it talks about how Jesus overcomes death and how that there won't be sorrow and how we're reconciled with him and how creation is back to the way that it should be. In fact, read about in Romans, how it says all creation yearns for the sons of God to be revealed. This image of when God's kingdom comes on earth. But the question I have for us today, and so we know where the outcome is, is what do we do in the meanwhile while we're waiting for Jesus to get us to that preferred future? 
And there's a passage I actually want to look at where we're going to spend most of our time today, which is in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. So you can look it up in your own Bible if you have it with you at home today, or if you want to uh, follow along, we'll have it on the screen for you here, well, the screen to my right for you right there today. And it says here in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And when we read that, it's often found inside of the Gospels. And it's when Jesus is talking not so much about a place, which is what we think of sometimes, but it's about the reign of God. It's where God's authority and power is alive and being exercised. People in Jesus' day were hoping for an earthly kingdom, literally a nation state of Israel as the kingdom of God with the Romans kicked out of Jerusalem. But Jesus said his kingdom is not like that. In Luke 17, he says this. He says, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within, or in some translations, it's among you. You see, God's kingdom works and is and in among God's people. So Jesus says, all right, you want to know how the kingdom of God comes? This kingdom of the rule of God that happens among you happens like this. He says the kingdom of God works like a mustard seed. Now, I don't know if you've seen a mustard seed. If you go to the bulk barn and you look in the spice bin, you'll buy these tiny little seeds that would just barely fit between my fingers right there. It's an itsy bitsy seed, but if you take this seed and you put it in the ground, even though it is so small, it produces a big bushy tree, especially there are different varieties of mustard, but some of the varieties of mustard create these huge trees that birds come and perch in. And the principle that Jesus gives is, here is really simple, but it's really true, is that God uses the small to accomplish big things. And throughout scripture, you can find story after story after story about how God chooses the small to fulfill his purposes. Let me just give you some examples. Jacob, who was na later named Israel, he was the runt of his two brothers. He was the less honest of the two. He was the weaker. He wasn't the firstborn. But he ended up being chosen by God to be the father of his people. In fact, the nation of Israel is named after him. There's a story about a guy named Naaman that you find in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he was a famous and mighty general, but he discovered that he had leprosy. And so he went to a prophet of God and he says, I would need to be healed. What would God ask me to do? I can conquer a country. I can pay you vast sums of money. And the prophet didn't even come out to meet him and said, here's what you need to do. You need to go, uh, go wash yourself in this dirty river right over there. And the man was almost insulted. In fact, he was. He says, this is unbecoming of me. That's a dirty river. There's better rivers other places. But then he humbled himself to do what seemed like it was too small. And God healed him. 
See, sometimes there are things that seem small, small or insignificant. We think they're beneath us, but God uses the small. King David. Was there ever someone more famous before Jesus than King David in Scripture? He was known as the greatest king of Israel. He was one of their greatest military leaders. But here's the thing. He was the youngest of seven sons. He was short. He's ridiculed by his family and known for his love of music, not for necessarily being a great warrior. But God took this person that was overlooked by everyone around him, the small, and does great things. And then there's Jesus Is there not a more perfect example of God using the small than Jesus? Jesus is born in a small town, not even in a hotel or not even in a home, but in a stable, placed in an animal's feeding trough. And out of these humble beginnings, God does his greatest work. He's not announced to the masses. He's announced to some shepherds who are on the outskirts, the overlooked, the ones that others would forget. But out of this baby born in poverty, God saves the world, not in a cosmic angelic firestorm, but in a solitary crucifixion. And we could talk about the feeding the 5,000 or the boy's few loaves and fishes, but here's the principle I want to give to you today, is that God uses the small to accomplish the big things of his kingdom. And then Jesus continues, after talking about the importance of beginning with what is small, to come to Luke 13, verses 20 and 21, he says, What will I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So today, inspired by this passage, I thought I would make two loaves of bread. I made one loaf with my regular recipe, and then in one loaf, I didn't put the yeast. Now, Jesus talks about how the woman takes yeast, or in actually biblical times it would have been something like leaven, and would knead it through the dough. And Jesus is making a point opposite of what we think sometimes. In our minds, we think if you want to make a significant difference, you need to do something big. You need to do something radical. But Jesus says the way the kingdom of God works is you take what seems like an insignificant amount of something and you allow it to work its way through everything. And so I baked my two loaves of bread, and you'll see them right here. Uh, This is one I made without yeast, and it doesn't look very appealing, to be very honest with you. It's hard as a brick. And then there's this one. Now, I know I'm not going to get marks for how pretty my bread is today because I forgot my loaf pan at home, and I brought everything in here to do it. But when you take a look at this loaf, if you break it apart, you know, it's got air pockets. It's kind of fluffy and light, whereas that is like, well, it's a biscuit. And the only difference between these two loaves of bread, I'll tell you exactly what it was, is three quarters of a teaspoon of yeast. That's the only difference between these two things. Something that would be barely larger than the tip of my pinky finger. And now, so Jesus makes a point here. He says, the way the kingdom of God works, it doesn't come by a radical planning. It doesn't come by our effort or our great things. It comes by the small things that have an unweighing influence in our lives. As we walk into the new year this year, I'm going to just ask you a question. Have you got an impression from God that he wants you to do something small? Maybe you've gotten this impression that you want to try 
praying regularly at a particular time of day. And we all know it's good, but you say, oh, that's not a very big thing. What difference could that make? Well, here's the thing. The small thing just isn't a small thing. What about joining us in investigating who Jesus is by reading the Gospel of Luke starting tomorrow morning? That's going to be a reading plan as we kick off the new year. What could it be like if you just did that small thing? Has God given you a word for this year? Is there someone you know you need to reconcile with? What God gives us to do may seem small, but in his kingdom, it is the kingdom that starts with the small. And I'm going to ask, what are you going to do with it? It's about infusing these things. And I love that expression where it talks about kneading. And with, with my mixer, I just mix the yeast into the dough over and over and over and over and over again. And it's that taking those small things, those small influences, those small words, those small actions that God puts on our heart and massaging them into the daily pace of our lives, those daily obediences over time have the cumulative and large transformative effects that God would want to see have happen in our life. But it's not just about, you know, seeing God do something inside of me. This is the way that Jesus influences the world. Small, simple obedience has a yeast effect. The influence of the kingdom has the ability to change nations, to change people, to change families, to change communities. You see, Jesus referred, reversed what were known as the uncleanliness laws and how I'd like to say it. See, the Jews of Jesus' days were concerned that when something ceremonially unclean touched them, they would become unclean too. But in the new kingdom of God, the clean touches the unclean and the unclean item becomes clean. The sick becomes whole. The broken becomes restored. And through a small number of us, we have the ability to change the atmosphere around us. In fact, this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of a small baby that comes and he comes to a few. Jesus came and he discipled 12 closely. And by the time he had died and resurrected and ascended, a few hundred people knew about him, had seen him personally on the other side of the grave. But that small group was faithful in their influence and faithful in their testimony. And they outlasted the Roman Empire. And today, there are 2.2 billion people in the world who claim to follow Jesus somehow. Now we could talk about how many of that is people that are following strongly or not, whatever, but I'm gonna say this. Isn't it pretty remarkable that the kingdom of God started with something so small has changed the course of history and nations and the world today? Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God isn't out there somewhere. It's the reign of God in our lives. And as we look to follow him this year, he can transform us and he can transform the world around us. So the question I have for us to imagine with today is simply this. What if we held on to the word or the messages God has spoken to us this year? What if we did some of the small, simple acts of obedience rather than thinking the, things, the small things God puts in our heart are not big enough to matter or focusing our attention on some big scheme that we made up? What if we allowed ourselves to be real in some small, tangible ways as a witness to others around us? Here's what I'd say. We could be changed in ways that we wouldn't expect. And we could change the world around us in ways we couldn't imagine. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a tiny mustard seed. It's like a little bit of yeast 
that works its way through a not particularly attractive loaf of dough. But that little bit of influence, that little bit of action, creates a big difference compared to what happens if it's not there. Jesus is taking us somewhere. The Christmas story that we stopped and looked at this year is the story of Jesus initiating his kingdom in the world in a new way. And it starts really small, but it changes all of us. Let's pray today. God, as I hold this loaf of bread in my hand, I think about how you use the illustration of yeast to say that yeast kind of just gets into everything. It changes everything it touches. In other parts in scripture, you compared us to salt, you compared us to light. And all the time, God, you tell us as people who follow you that we have the ability, God, to influence the world around us. But God, that influence doesn't come from our strength. It comes from the powerful transformation you make in our lives as we take the simple steps of obedience and following you. So God, I pray that we'll follow you this year. And I pray for each person who's watching online today, that God, you will begin to speak to them about something, something small. In fact, God, I think you've probably already been speaking to them about something small before they even started watching today. A sense that maybe they want to spend some time with you or reconcile with someone, or pray, or read. Or God, maybe they've been reading in the Gospels and they need to overcome a temptation or confess something to someone. God, I pray that we will not think that those things are too small, that we will not procrastinate with those things. When it's time to obey, it's never the time to delay. Help us to hear from you this year and take those small, simple steps of obedience that we might be changed and that you might change others through us. In Jesus' name.